Well, who makes disciples? Uh, if, as we've said, a disciple is a forgiven sinner devoted to becoming like Jesus through learning and keeping the teachings of Jesus, whose job is it to make that happen? That's the question we're asking just now. In 15 years of pastoral ministry, I've heard a number of responses to that question. Like uh, Mike, who said, well, you do. Pastors make disciples. That's why I give. I'm a stakeholder, uh, but I'm a spectator in the stand, not a player on the pitch. Have you heard that view before? Or maybe you ha have heard the view of Karen, who said, oh, the trained folks make disciples. Uh, every church member can talk about Jesus, but making disciples is such a big thing. It takes training. You know, you don't let a lawyer perform heart surgery. Only trained people do that kind of thing. Trained people make disciples. Or Roberto, he had uh, different reasons for thinking it was someone else's job to make disciples. Uh, he said, I'm just not gifted in disciple making. You know, my gifting lies in other areas like serving. wonder if you've heard people talk like that before. I wonder if you've had a response like that. What is their response to the who question? Essentially, you can boil it down to this. Mike says, it's the paid guys, but it's all a foil for excusing himself. Karen says, it's the trained folks, but she really hasn't got that from the Bible. Roberto says, oh, it's the gifted folks, but he's actually pushed the biblical idea of gifting too far. I wonder if you see yourself in any of these people. They're all finding ways to excuse themselves from the crucial task given to every disciple. So what does God's word have to say to us? And to them, who makes disciples? Well, Ephesians 4 really helps us understand that there are two groups who do. First of all, pastors. Pastors make disciples and do so, ought to do so, without distraction. Now, let me be clear. When I talk about pastors here, I'm actually talking about elders. The words are synonymous in the original language in the New Testament. So your pastors aren't just Paul, Andy and me, but and Adam, but Andy, Tim, Angus, Colin, Bruce, David, and Seto. And what we find in Ephesians 4 is that God lays responsibility for making disciples at the feet of pastors and elders. Ephesians 4, 7-8. Picture Christ as the head, or at the head, sorry, of a victory parade. He has defeated Satan, sin and death, by his own death and resurrection, and freed those who were captive to those enemies. What is Jesus doing in this passage? He is throwing out gifts, throwing out the plunder of his victory to his people so that they can join in the celebration. Now, what gifts in particular? Verse 11 tells us, speaking gifts, word gifts, gifts that bring good news to people and gifts that nurture people with that same good news. Now, the apostles and prophets in here are the foundational gifts to the church and to the wor world. As we read, um, Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and pastor teachers. Um, the apostles and prophets that are mentioned here are the ones to whom the message was originally authoritatively given. Uh, Ephesians 2.20, earlier in the book, calls them the foundation, the pillar and foundation of truth. 
But the evangelists and pastor teachers that are mentioned in verse 11 are, if you like, the present ongoing gifts of the, to the church and to the world. The evangelists make new disciples by speaking good news to people who don't know Jesus. The pastor teacher, uh, th that person grows and matures disciples by speaking the good news into the lives of people who, well, who do know Jesus and need to grow into him. That's his job. So by their teaching, training and example, elders make disciples. One question though is, how do they do that? Well, I guess individually as, as mature men, they do it the way everybody else does it, through the four Ps that we looked at last time. Disciple, uh, disciples are made by the persevering proclamation of the Word of God by the people of God in prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God. Elders are those with knowledge, conviction and skill to do that well. They can be trusted with the care of souls in a church family because that's what God has gifted them to do. And other disciples can learn alongside them and even be trained by watching them and copying them and asking them to teach them what to do. Um, it makes a big difference. But elders don't just do this individually, of course. Uh, elders do this disciple-making collectively as part of a group of elders. That's why we have, principally, more than one. First of all, they do it by overseeing the overall teaching of the church. Did you know that was an elder's responsibility? It's our conviction as elders that God's word, clearly taught and properly applied, transforms lives. It is the elder's job to make sure that that's what's happening and what's being taught from the pulpit on Sundays is solid, sound and helpful. They do the same in terms of their oversight over uh, aspects of uh, our ministries. But the Sunday sermons together with our, I guess you could call the Sunday sermons the tuning fork for the whole church. The Sunday sermons uh, uh, together are the, the, well, they're the firewall against threats to the church. Uh, the Sunday sermons together are the classroom for the whole church in which we equip learners like you, like me, to make more learners who live and breathe the word of God and speak it to one another and to the world. Now, how does this apply then? What does this actually mean for elders? Well, as I, I, if I can address you, brothers, it means we need to keep this, this, disciple-making, the main thing, and not get distracted by it. Churches all over Scotland have. They've downgraded God's word, nullified the proper preaching of it, and now call all kinds of speaking sermons, but they're not. Changes like that happen not in giant leaps, but in tiny steps away from clear conviction. And it's commonly down to careless or distracted elderships who replace disciple-making with something else as the core of a church's existence. So our encouragement, my encouragement, is enforce, and, uh, enforce a disciple-making pulpit and maintain this focus. What about for all of us, though? What does it mean for us as a church family? Well, to the whole church, it means giving yourself fully to hearing the word of God preached. It's a crucial part of your ongoing discipleship. It's not something you should skip. It's not something you should avoid. It's actually good for you. It's like, it's like a good meal every week. But it's not the only aspect of our discipleship, of course. 
But in terms of what God's word says, it is the main thing. To the men in our church family, I would say the church needs many more of you to step up to this crucial disciple-making leadership role. If we don't have enough elders, then a vital cog in the mechanics of disciple-making is missing and a generation can miss out. In Ephesians 4, we see the importance of pastor-teachers. And let me ask you then, do you desire that kind of role? Or are you too busy in life or indifferent to leadership in a church um, through which God is doing his saving eternal work? Maybe you assume someone else will do it. Uh, maybe you are uh, at times too critical or negative about current leaders. You're not willing to step up or too involved in other things and overcommitted in ways that might prevent you from serving in this way. Reflect on these things. This is a good thing. As the Bible says, if anyone desires the office or the, the, the role of overseer, that is elder, he desires a noble task. It's a good thing to desire. So desire it. God makes disciples, therefore, through uh, godly elders who disciple others. So based on all I've said, uh, I guess you could ask, am I saying that Mike is right? Mike is the one who said, well, it's the paid guys, it's the elders who make disciples. No, of course not. Because Ephesians 4 puts, uh, even though Ephesians 4 puts elders at the heart of disciple making, but it's not at the exclusion of other believers. It's actually intended for the inclusion of other believers. So who makes disciples? First of all, elders without distraction. But secondly, everyone Everyone without exception, every believer, God lays the responsibility for making disciples at the feet of all believers. If you go back to Ephesians 4, we stopped halfway through the sentence. Verse 11 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers, now verse 12, to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, why do elders teach, train and model disciple-making? To equip the church family, the entire body of believers, to make disciples themselves. Ephesians 4, 11-12 show us that the speaking that evangelists and pastors do effectively produces more speakers. Speakers of truth, as verse 15 goes on to say, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Who's Paul talking about here? Who's speaking in verse 15? Is it the pastor teacher? No, it's the believers who are speaking the word of God to each other for their building up. So in summary, you could say, by their teaching, training and example, every disciple makes disciples. This is what all of God's people do. They proclaim, they speak the word of God to each other. They take what they have been equipped with and they pass it on to other people. They perseveringly proclaim the word of God as the people of God in prayerful dependence on the spirit of God. Now Marshall and Payne say this, they say, there is ample evidence that speaking the word of God to others for their salvation or edification is an expected and necessary component of the Christian life. So, 
Mike is wrong. He's not a spectator in the stand. He's a player on the pitch. Karen is wrong. She assumes that she needs to be an elite disciple maker to make disciples. She doesn't. She just needs to share what she has learnt. And Roberto's wrong. He assumes that he can excuse himself by claiming gifting in some other area. But Ephesians 4 says, no, 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 no. This is everyone's responsibility. Speaking the word of God to each other, of course, takes many forms. We're not asking everybody to stand up and preach sermons. Well, some are great at striking up conversations with people and bringing Christ naturally into conversation. That's we speaking God's word. Some have the patience to sit for hours with a troubled soul and offer wise and sensitive words of comfort and help from the Bible. That's a way of speaking God's word. Some will have the skills and aptitude for helping groups of Christians grapple together with the Bible and teach it in that way. That's a way of teaching God's word. Whatever form it takes, speaking the word of God is what every Christian disciple should do. It's about proclamation again. And we should do it everywhere we go, everywhere we are. So we do it when we gather. When we gather, when we're allowed to, we should hear God's word, not just from the pulpit, but in the pew as well. It really should be the most natural thing in our church family, whether in the, in the, when we gather to talk about the sermon and bring God's word into the conversation but not just in large gatherings, in small groups too. And not just in formal meetings, of course, but in everyday organic connections and meetings of folks who are partners together and members together in our church family. But God's word should also sound out from us, not just when we gather, but even when we're at home. Actually, it's a crucial context for disciple making. Made especially difficult for us just now by another raft of restrictions, of course, but Conversations between husbands and wives and parents and kids and grandparents and grandkids, between friends or between hosts and guests, should be our goal and our delight. I mean, is there a better subject to talk about than anything that we have learned from God's word? Sounds great, doesn't it? But in the Vine Project that this series is based on, Marshall and Payne make a pretty strong claim at this point. See if you agree with this. They say, although there may be speaking ministry happening in various ways, it's fair to say that the majority of people in our churches don't see this as a normal part of their lives, to be prayerfully speaking the word of God to someone else for their building up. What do you think about that? Is that true of our church? Is it true of us, true of you? Well, let me ask these questions. In, in your small group, when was the last time you confessed a sin or asked someone to pray for something really important to you in life? When was the last time you invited to someone to speak into your life for your growth? Or how many times have you left someone to be ignorant of a sin that they very clearly don't see in themselves? Or when was the last time you talked about God or the gospel or your faith to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Marshall and Payne say it might be worth checking these things because often churches think they're doing it, but on closer inspection often realise they're not. Disciple making is everyone's responsibility. Everyone without exception. It's so important to Christ that we need to consider this and check ourselves. Not just to clarify our convictions, but make sure our practice is also aligned. 
So let's try to summarise this in a sentence, as we have in recent weeks. What is the answer to the question, who makes disciples? We could say, by their teaching, training and example, pastors and elders equip every Christian to be a Christ learner who helps others learn Christ. It's worth trying to remember that. Well, I had the privilege this week of speaking to two Christ learners who also serve as elders in our church family. And I asked them about their experience of being a disciple and making a disciple based on the content of what we've looked at today. Let's watch this. Well, we have been thinking about uh, who makes disciples in our sermon. And there's no doubt from Ephesians 4 that elders are key to this. And I have two of our brother elders on here, Colin and Andy. Uh, guys, where else in God's word do you see this kind of thing that we've been talking about in this sermon? Andy, over to you first. Well, I suppose the obvious one that we look to is the Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself. He was the disciple maker par, es, par excellence. Um, he always had a crowd with him. He had his disciples with him. And it seems that it was a mix of teaching so he'd get them aside he'd have some quiet seminars he would teach them uh, but also just living and example and life that they did together he's the one who used the example of take my yoke upon me and that wonderful picture Liam that you uh, brought out in our other messages about the yoke which goes on Jesus but then goes on the younger oxen as it were next to him who leads on and, and then of course the apostle Paul he was always well almost always in company with others he was training them up doing exactly the same thing they were going to observe his ministry they were going to hear what he said and uh, his expectation was that they then would do the same I, I just love what he wrote to Timothy uh, where he, he says to Timothy set an example for the believers in speech in life in love in faith and in purity, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. So there we have it. That's Paul's expectation that Timothy was to do life with others so that they were to see him, but also hear him. Life and doctrine together. That's really helpful. Colin, anything to add? Uh, yeah, I totally agree, especially about what Paul did. Um, when he was addressing the Ephesian elders, we read about that in Acts 20, verse 28, that he, uh, he commanded them to be as shepherds to the flock. And I think that's where, that's where it really keys in, elders and discipling really keys in when we start talking about shepherds. Uh, because Paul told them then, just as Andy was saying about the importance of their own life, uh, that they were to take heed to themselves before they then started to take care of the flock. And uh, Peter says the same thing in, in, in 1 Peter 5, verse 1, I think it is. Uh, he says, you've got to be examples to the flock be sh and, and, and so be shepherds. That's the key thing, to shepherd the flock. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So what does that look like for us collectively as elders? Yeah, I gave an example or two in the sermon. Uh, what do you think? What would you add, Colin? Well, uh, taking on from what we just said, I think the, the hardest thing for an elder to do or to, is, is what he is to be. And that's a credible example to the flock. Um, both Paul and Peter emphasize the importance of this. And it's really, I think an elder's worst nightmare is 
uh, to be a stumbling block to any person in the flock. That, that, that's the elder's worst nightmare. But at the same time, scripture doesn't command us to be perfect examples. It, 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 it's asking us to be credible examples by God's grace. And I think that's really important. And as we seek to do that, we, we try to get alongside people. That, that's really key. You can't, you can't disciple or, or shepherd anybody by standing at a distance. So get alongside them, pray not just for them, but with them. Um, share their difficulties and their challenges. Um, also help them to see the importance of feeding on Christ through the word. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And to feed on Christ through accurate, clear teaching. And from that point of view, the elders are to sit in a sense, in judgment on the, on the teaching, to judge, a judge whether it is true, accurate teaching or whether there's a, a, an element of falseness anywhere. Absolutely. And from that point, yeah, from that point of view, you ought to warn against heresy. And if anybody should wander away, to go after them lovingly and try and encourage them to come back to, to a place of safety in Christ. That's great. Andy, anything to add? Just to say, I think in the totality of our church life, elders are to be overseeing every single area to make sure that the word of God is being taught. So it's not obviously it's Sunday and it's the preaching, but then the word should be communicated in so many areas. And elders have a responsibility to make sure things like Sunday school and YAC and the men's ministry and the women's ministry and the youth ministry, uniformed organisations, anything that goes under the banner of Charlotte Chapel should be something where they're wanting to make sure the word of God is getting out effectively and more than that I think elders have a responsibility for particular training yeah that's why we have pastors in training it's why we have apprentices because we realize we have a responsibility so elders are going to be passionate for training and training doesn't just come in one form we're going to be looking for a, a multifaceted way of doing training in our church life good well, what does disciple making look like for you personally? We've thought a little bit about what it looks like collectively, but what does it look like personally? Andy, what is it for you? Look, I, I suppose first and foremost, I have a responsibility to my wife. I have a responsibility to Kath. Absolutely. So whatever discipling means in terms of formal relationships with someone else, it actually starts at the closest level. So for me, it starts with, my wife it starts with me making sure that we read the scriptures together regularly talk about it pray about it now our kids have left home um so it's the same with with colin as colin and i just sort of enter middle age now our kids have left that <laughs> we uh, there's a responsibility that i have to to do that i've got to share god's word had to share god's word uh with my own kids and then, as it were, I think the circle expands. I, I'm looking out to the community in which I live. How can I share the word with my neighbours and my friends? And how can I share it with my colleagues? Now, in my context, my colleagues, I think, are all really safe people and bless them for that. But that's not, that's not the case for everyone. And we need to be seeing for those networks that, that God has given to us. And I would also say that I need to be someone who's a humble learner myself. If I'm to do this, I need to be someone who is also receiving from others, who recognises I'm a bit of a failure, I mess up. 
if I had my life three times, four times, a hundred times over, I would still be learning. There is so much more. I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to be hungry for God's word, not just someone who thinks I can sit on some high position and then dispense my wisdom. I have no wisdom. It's only the word of God. And I need people doing that into my life uh, as much as others, uh, me doing it with others. Yeah, well, that's a very helpful reminder and actually a helpful way to think about it there, almost like concentric circles moving out from the home outside and so on. That's really helpful. Colin, what would you add to that? What does disciple making look like for you personally? Well, uh, like Andy, I started exactly the same place, not knowing what he was going to say, because I think the family is the is where that's the epicenter of everything we do, um, our family. And although salvation's response is personal, um, God still works through families and in families. We mustn't forget the, the abiding significance of Deuteronomy 6, 6, which says after, after these things have been laid on your own hearts, impress them on your children and do it by, uh, by talking at home when you're out for a walk, when you get up in the morning, when you go, go to bed at night. All these times are opportunities to share God's word. It doesn't always have to be with, with, with scripture. Obviously, we, it's important to, to open scripture, I think, at least once a day with your family. But it can be it, it, transmitting to them biblical principles through, through belief, through, through what you believe is important in practical areas of life. They'll have problems and they'll have questions. And if we can give a scriptural answer to those questions, that's really important. Now, I've had, I've had three kids. They're all grown up now, uh, like Andy's. Um, two of them went on to follow the Lord. The third one uh, wandered away in his late teens. And, um, you know, what to do for Tim? Uh, that's his name. He's a good lad. He's, he's uh, one of my best friends that I hang out with. And that's the important thing, to hang out with folks, to pray for them, yeah. to love them, to, to spend time with them, shoot pool with them, whatever, you know? And, um, and we, so we do those things and we wait for him to come back. And today, actually, I just share with you, I got, a, um, I got a lovely promise through a daily reading I do. And I'll share this for every parent out there who's, who's urging their kids to turn to Christ and praying for them. It says, that Psalm 37, verse 7, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. And that's a great promise for, for parents who want to see their kids coming to Christ, I think. That's great. Well, Can I also say, sorry, just to say, uh, other areas of discipling I do in the church are one-to-one -one Bible studies with internationals. Um, yeah. Tell us and, about that. What do you do, Colin? Okay. Um, well, funnily enough, it, it's surprising to know how many folks out there within the international community and within our own church who really would like to do a Bible study with somebody, yeah. but it's how to verbalize that and how to key into that. So it, it's for us to be sensitive to look for those folks and to suggest it to them in a, in a way that, 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 that is uh, attractive to them too. And uh, so I, I do one-to-one -one Bible studies with internationals and also with some Brits. And um, here's the thing that I find that as I do a Bible study with somebody else, I myself am challenged. It's like what Andy was saying there, that we ourselves need to be discipled. And I found recently, to give a practical example, through doing Tim Chester's gospel-centered life with somebody else, mm -hmm. I found I was being challenged and discipled at every hand's turn. Yeah, It's incredible. Yeah. So in, in watering others, you yourself are watered. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, speaking God's truth into each other's lives is often hindered by our hearts uh, when motivation is misplaced or sometimes by our fears. You know, our confidence can really be low and that can stop us from speaking God's word into people's lives in whatever way we talk about. What would you say to a brother or sister who sees such hindrances in their own disciple making? Um, well, I would say that, that we should uh, ask them to, to ask the Lord to help them to see people as he sees them. Mm. When Jesus looked out, he saw people like sheep harassed without a shepherd. And uh, that was a great need they had. And so if we can find, if we can see people in their need uh, with spiritual eyes given to us by the Holy Spirit, then what we do, we don't do out of duty or obligation. We do out of love. And that's what we're called to do, to, to, to serve the body of Christ, not just as elders, but as, uh, as members one of another. And that's what I think Ephesians 4 is all about, building one another up in love as every part does its work. Yeah. And yeah. Pray for sure. sure. Yeah. Good. Andy, anything to add? I was reminded of the quote by D.L. Moody, that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where they can find bread. Uh, and I think basically... That's what discipleship is. I don't come with any particular superiority. I may know the Bible slightly better than the person that I'm uh, meeting with, but basically I'm a beggar, I'm a hungry beggar, and I'm just sharing alongside them uh, where they, they can. In fact, I find that throughout my pastoral life, and I'm just working out this morning, I've now been a pastor for 40 years, that probably my two most common expressions, number one, I don't know. Number two, I'm sorry. Uh, and we don't approach discipleship making in a position of uh, superiority. It's not the abuse of power. It is one beggar saying to another, let's get into the word of God and let's find out what we can both mind for it. Could I just say something in passing, Liam? I think, you know, you're talking to two guys, men. We, we, we have, I think, a bigger problem when it comes to this discipleship i don't think we're naturally good at relating men have a different way I, I know it's this is very unpc to say but i think there is it's a reality and i also think there is a generational thing i think colin and i when we were we were growing up probably we didn't experience this and maybe some of those listening in who've come from an older background we were never mentored it wasn't part of our church life we're having to learn new stuff yeah. And that means we need to be humble, we need to be teachable, but we need to be willing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great, guys. Uh, that really helps us think through these things a bit more in a bit more detail. Uh, you brothers, as elders and as everyday believers, uh, giving us a, a bit of insight into what life is like in your respective ministry areas is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much, guys. Well, there is still work to be done, more of the lost still to be brought in, and all of us need to be more like Christ. There is definitely room to grow in our lives. And that's why we stand on the promises of God's word and by faith seek to do his will. And that's what we're going to sing about to close. <laughs>